0: Hi, welcome to another episode of Leaders Digest. This time, I'm delighted to say that we're speaking to Emma Wikes of Seedlip. Seedlip is the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. They were founded just over four years ago by Ben Branson. They're on a mission to change the way the world drinks, Emma is their COO, so in this conversation we talk about lots of different topics, but amongst them are the uh, challenges and tensions of long-term planning uh, in a business that is growing incredibly quickly. Um, So yeah, let's dive straight in. I hope you find it really useful and interesting. So um, we're recording this uh, podcast in, in, in January uh, dry January, so so the appeal of um, of low and no alcohol um, is pretty apparent at the minute. Mm-hmm. But I guess that wasn't really the case four years ago.
1: No, um, I was uh, I was watching a segment that Ben had done on Sky News uh, uh, last week, and I think Dry January started in 2013 and had 4,000 people participate. This year will be the biggest Dry January ever, I think, with over five million people participating. Um, and certainly when Ben created Seedlip, it wasn't sort of done in a, um, a cynical way of the no and low category is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I want to create something to play in that space. Um, Seedlip really pioneered the no and low category. Mm-hmm. And I don't think for one moment when Ben created his first his first bottles of Seedlip and he bottled and labelled them at home and then drove them himself to Selfridges, I don't think for one moment he he sort of, Understood what was coming and what what he was creating. Um, it, it sort of four years later, in the last twelve months, there's been fifty new no and low no brands at least created in Europe,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and the first sort of few being created in the US as well. Um, and it's sort of becoming a movement. And I think certainly I've always, I'd always worked for alcohol brands in my twenty eight eight twenty eight year career. And when I told ex colleagues that I was moving to Seedlit four years uh, three years ago people would say to me, oh, Emma, are you sure that's not just a fad? Is it? Is it really a thing? Is it going to yeah. catch on? And I think we can now very clearly say it's not a fad. It's definitely um, a category.
2: yeah,
1: And it's um, a big human need state because we're living longer, yeah. we're busier than ever, um, and being able to still enjoy the same social occasions but without having any of the,
2: yeah.
1: um, the sometimes negative effects um negative effects of drinking alcohol means you can do more and you can be busy.
2: Um,
1: That said, we are not um, preachy or anti-drinking at all. We actually believe that if you're really going to enjoy Seedlip, it's probably because you've drunk alcoholic brands because Mm -hmm. of the complexity and elegance. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's really interesting, I think, that that point about... Ben's own personal sort of experience and expertise but how that you know him 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 recognizing that he wasn't alone in that in mm. in, in in that sort of state is it, really interesting and so I've I've been a fan of Sidlip for a couple of years now and to anybody who'd listen I would I would sort of fanboy a little bit about how um it's just like drinking a gin and tonic by which I mean the environment that you drink it in and how you make it and you know mixing it or you know whatever it might be and and it and it and it, it, it really is Um, you know a a fantastic product can you just talk to me a little bit more about the development over the last four years and and then perhaps talk a little bit about um, the deal with Diageo the recent deal with with Diageo
1: so we started um, Spice 94 was launched in November 2015 Mm -hmm. Um, and then the following year we launched Garden 108 Um, um, and Ben has many variants in his mind um, and lots of inspiration from nature. Um, so Spice came first, then Garden, and then Grove was launched in 2018. Um, and it's really, it's becoming a range and a portfolio because um, they are complex liquids um, and we want them to be um, not, not challenging, but they should, they should sort of make you go, oh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: oh that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the first range of um, the seed lip range and then acorn we launched six months ago acorn is um, a range of aperitifs so we have a dry white Mm -hmm. and an aromatic red which very much play in that wine occasion and then the um the bitter is much more sort of around that um, aperitivo moment Mm -hmm. um because if you if you go back to our mission of changing the way the world drinks, you're not just going to do that with one brand yeah. or one flavour. You need to give consumers choice and variety. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as we become a global brand, there will be certain markets that will embrace Grove more or Spice mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. or Garden. And there's a seasonality. It mm-hmm. means you can you can drink across a repertoire. Um, we also in uh, so you know. It, Acorn was a lot of innovation. And then last October, we launched the No Grony, yeah. which is um, a combination of seed lip and acorn. Um, we really did that as a limited edition for Selfridges initially and to sell online. But it's been so successful that we'll be rolling out further in the UK and globally over yeah. the next 12 months. Um, I love No Gronis. Um, and I could happily drink our No all day, um, yeah. every day. And it really does taste um, so good. Yeah. And, you, you know, you can happily have sort of four or five no-grown and it's not going to affect what you're doing the next day. Um, we, um, we put an awful lot of care and attention into our liquids. Um, all the brands start with liquid first, an idea, a sort of flavour profile, um, and then the liquid is developed, and then the brand is created, or um, the variant is created. And when you look at the um, liquids in Acorn, I mean, they are incredible liquids um very complex um very rich and it's really hard to make non-alcoholic liquids when you don't have alcohol to um preserve them in
2: um
1: so we welcome um what's going on in the category we're kind of interested to sort of figure out who who are our worthy opponents (laughs) Um, because um the more innovation that happens in the category the more consumers come into the category
0: Yeah. yeah and and um so the, the 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 deal with Diageo happened yes. uh, last last August. Last August. Yep, um, and just talk to me a little bit about a little bit about how that came about. But but I'm more interested in changes and challenges since since that happened, because mm-hmm. presumably that had a, a big impact on on the business. Lots and lots of positives, but, but potentially some 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 challenges to overcome as well.
1: So. Um... The way, the way our relationship started with Diageo, sort of over four years ago, Ben started a conversation with Distill Ventures, mm-hmm. who are the um, investment fund that sort of um, are a partner to Diageo, and they were tasked to go out into the world and mm-hmm. look for new innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ben met them through that process, so he went into the Distal Ventures program Uh, along with um, other brands, and they are still very active out looking for innovation. Um, So that sort of started. And so therefore, our relationship was sort of arm's length with Diageo, but they Mm -hmm. were our investor. Mm -hmm. And when you go into that program, you still get to run your business as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're not told what to do, um, but you get the upside of having a fantastic investment partner. We've always talked about Diageo being the wind in our sails. Um, and they certainly have been. And there's no way that we would have been able to grow as quickly as we have without them as a partner. Um, you know, it's a perfect partner. If you're if you're creating a drinks brand that plays in an alcohol space, having the largest drinks company in the world um, on your side is yeah. extremely helpful. Um, the deal completed last August. It's a majority stake.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, ben is still very involved um, in the business in terms of leading yeah as CEO and as founder and our sort of creative brain and, and thinking. Um, we're six months into that process. We've started um, integrating areas of the business, mm-hmm. um, particularly um, Europe first. Um, and I think um, it's 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 a good learning for both parties, taking a very small business, even though it feels big to us, it's a very small business compared to Diageo mm-hmm. and working out how do you get the best out of us and how do we get the best out of them. Um, and we're six months in, the process is going well. Um, change is uncomfortable, I think, on um for human beings generally. Mm-hmm. But at SeedLip, because we've grown so fast, we change, everything changes so quickly here on a regular basis. We regularly go through these growing pains yeah. that are sometimes sort of six weeks or three months. Yeah. And I can now see them because you start to see people getting a bit cranky or stressed or something will break um so we're used to change and i think it's in this in the sort of world as it is today harnessing that change as an opportunity because depending on you can you can go into integration with a much larger company with a oh this is going to be a challenge mindset or you can go into it with this is an opportunity and we're going to learn a lot yeah and it's certainly a great opportunity for both businesses
2: yeah
1: um and there's no way that we could really change the way the world drinks without Diageo. Yeah
2: um
1: and I think on a cultural level, I mean it was incredible. The deal happened. Yeah. Ben and I were obviously very involved in that process. But when we came back in the office after the deal had happened, it was so business as usual. <laughs> Everyone's so busy here. I don't think I don't think we missed a beat. Everyone was still heads down, wow. head down. We were it was August We'd all been away for nature week, which is something we do for our teams in August to encourage them to switch off and have everyone off at the same time in the business. But people came down, back and it was sort of head down business as usual. Um, and certainly at the moment, the the doors that uh, um, fly open when you are part of the Diageo network are quite extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's changes, is, change is never comfortable,
0: but this is such
1: positive change. Yeah. And um yeah, it's exciting.
0: So, uh, what I'm really interested in is, um, a seedlip has grown so fast in the in the four years, and you you, you you've grown geographically as well. You're in you in different regions. You you must have to have structure and process, and you know those various different things, frameworks, those various different things in place. But how do you know when to enforce them, when to relax them, when they need to be created how does how does that work from a from your perspective um, overseeing the whole business in such a period of of you know really period fast growth. growth yeah
1: I would say one of our biggest challenges always at Seedlip is being able to hire the right people fast enough mm-hmm. and because having a partner like Liagia we've been able to hire overhead um, and, and human beings mm-hmm. to be able to do things and often slightly ahead of the curve we could see what was coming and we could put a person or a team in mm-hmm. place which is a luxury that a lot of other startups just can't afford to do and it's mm-hmm. definitely helped um, our speed um, yes and trying to find the right people fast enough is an ongoing challenge for mm-hmm. us as a business we have an incredible team we um, like to think outside of the box in terms of some of the people we employ
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and um, look at transferable skills um, there's someone in our business came into the business as a PA and she was previously a nurse an emergency accident an emergency nurse and when we were recruiting for this PA role we, we had hundreds of CVs but her stood out because we were like oh that's going to be interesting she's going to be really good under pressure really accurate and yeah. nothing's going to phase her um, and she's extraordinary <laughs> um, but we have lots of um, the team are young most yeah. of our 90% of our team are probably under the age of about 32.
2: Okay.
1: Um, but they are brilliant. They um, all have to learn things really quickly. Um, another person who works in our business who is in her early 20s, when we had our pop-up shop this time last year, she ran that project from start to finish without mm-hmm. having to use any agency. None of us had ever run a shop before, and now we know a bit more about running a shop. I <laughs> know, <And her> particularly. <laughs>
2: um
1: so being able to recruit the right people yeah. as you see those growth spurts coming is, you know, incredibly game-changing and useful. Um, and I think sort of – I think with the other sort of elements of growth, again, it sort of comes down to mindset, knowing that it's going to be a bit painful, some things can go wrong, mm-hmm. but we'll be okay, mm-hmm. we'll kind of get through it, um, I think has put us in good stead for the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think when I joined, I could have foreseen how fast we would have grown. Um, and mm-hmm. now I just—I'm just kind of waiting for the next challenge, always. But it's—it's it's such a pleasure to do this work with this team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we all have—I think the sort of senior leadership team and management team mm-hmm. has such a go-getting mindset of we'll find a way.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and in terms of sort of process and structure. Like all startups, we um, hired lots of sales and marketing people to start with and probably not enough ops and finance people. Um, we now have fantastic ops and finance teams and a lot of support from Diageo. And we have in the last year gone through putting more process and structure um, because in order to scale, you just need a bit more compliance um, and also making sure that you have the right accounting systems and the right ops systems. Um And that the flow of information around the business works in a coherent way Mm -hmm. and that people aren't working in their own silos and there's lots of cross-functional working and collaboration, Mm -hmm. um, which I think will be, it's it's a sort of never-ending challenge, especially as we get bigger here and you have much bigger teams, ensuring that we still collaborate and have cross-functional working across the teams.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about um, the uh the the vision and the purpose for Mm -hmm. Seedlip change the way the world drinks um by giving options to to you know what to drink when you when you're not drinking and one of the reasons that we first got in touch was um something that you that you'd mentioned about the culture here at at, at Seedlip and the three Ps yes and so can you just talk to me a little bit about that culture and how that helps with um, as you've as you've talked about previously about this, the, the the flexibility and people you know, hiring great people but giving them a really clear vision and then a culture that yeah. sort of keeps them in check.
2: Yes.
1: So um, our culture, our three P's is politely, properly, at pace. Um, and uh, politely because we believe in manners both internally and externally, and manners are rare and they make a huge difference. So mm. saying please and thank you, but I think. All of those three P's ultimately come down to respect mm-hmm. and respecting your fellow human being. Um, and so we have uh, inter- we sort of the way we communicate internally is on Slack. We don't send internal emails mm-hmm. because emails are quite slow and clunky, um, and it it creates um, a dynamic flow of information. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, politely properly is making sure that you sweat the small stuff. Mm-hmm. As human beings, we love to overcomplicate everything. And actually, if you take some time and simplify things, mm-hmm. it makes it easier for your business, your teams, and your consumers, ultimately. Um, and pace, you can do things properly and at pace. It's a good tension. Um, but if we're going to change the way the world drinks, you know, we shouldn't hang around. <laughs> and I think Ben and I are two of the most impatient people. <laughs> I've had a lot more patience in the last five years. Um but the culture is really important, and I think what a lot of businesses do is they think that the culture is over here somewhere and the business is here, yeah. and actually culture and business are, the same, are part of the same circle, mm-hmm. um, and we certainly wouldn't have been such a successful business without the culture we have, and mm-hmm. our culture wouldn't be so wonderful if we hadn't been such a successful business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on a cultural level, um, we look after our people. Um, everyone works hard here. It can be quite intense, especially when we're going through a growth spurt, Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll do things like every now and then we'll take an afternoon off to go for a walk as a team. Um, We do quite a lot of team activities. Mm -hmm. Um, Ben's vision when he set up Seedlit was that everyone who worked here during their time here would learn what they would need to know about running a business and creating a brand. He wanted everyone to have what he didn't have. He had Mm -hmm. to learn all of that very quickly by himself. Um, I think it was one of his superpowers Um, so when people come here we want them to think big
2: Um,
1: it's the first place I've ever worked where Ben will regularly say to me think bigger Emma you know you spend your whole adult life after school being told not to think big because you can't do x y and z Um, and I think Ben is creating a sort of army of entrepreneurs that are going to sort of bug him for the rest (laughs) of his life with all their different ideas Um, But I think culture, especially nowadays as well, the younger generations, they will choose where they work based on does it align with their personal values, which is something that my generation and previous generations didn't even think about. And so it's really important as as employers now, are we satisfying those needs and are we doing the right things? Because also they will, you know our teams are great and they work incredibly hard and are, are very talented and we're very appreciative that they work here and mm-hmm. they don't work somewhere else. And then how do you keep them and how do you keep it fresh and interesting mm-hmm. for them? So um, I love the cultural aspect um, of CDIF and getting to create that with Ben has been so exciting.
0: And you mentioned right right back at the start of the, uh, of the chat about um, balancing thinking and doing Mm. and obviously with at pace being one of your one of your uh values the 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 sort of um presumably the 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 emphasis is placed on on do rather than rather than think so what's the how do you plan and strategize at seedlet do you have a five-year a five-year plan you have a you have a lofty um and very worthwhile vision
2: yes
0: but at pace is a, is, a, is, a, is a value. So how do you balance those things?
1: So um, it's a great question and something I've, I have been exploring myself a lot more in the last 12 months. So, I mean, you have to have a plan. You have to have a business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, every business should have it. Even if once you've written that plan, it's probably out of date. And certainly in the first few years of a startup, whatever you write in your plan, it will be wrong one way or another. But you still have to have a plan. <laughs> it's good to have a framework <laughs> yeah. um so we do have plans um we have a planning cycle now that we work with Diageo on which is aligned or sort of becoming more aligned with their planning cycle but there is a, a yearly planning cycle for a new financial year like most businesses mm-hmm. we look at the business quarterly and in halves. but I think modern business you have to look at business you have to really look at what's happening faster mm-hmm. than that mm-hmm. especially in this business which you know we maybe aren't a startup anymore, but we're still very sort of fast moving, and yeah. things are changing all the time because it's a completely new category, mm-hmm. and we're learning mm-hmm. as much as we are out there sort of activating and making things happen, we're learning in, you know in the same vein, and we do an awful lot of test and learn and mm-hmm. seedlip um, to see what's going on with our consumers um, so there is there is a planning cycle, plans are yeah. important. But I think you also need to be flexible and agile, yeah. and be able to pivot and respond. Um, because I, I don't, I, I don't want our to become a business of well, that's the way we've always done it. I think that would be sort of death to us.
0: So it, it, it's fascinating um, because one of the things that I'm that I like to try and, or I'd like Leaders Digest to, to, to help people with, is how do you increase the tempo? Of an organisation, how how do you bring if, if if speed is now a competitive differentiator in some in some circumstances? How do you increase the, the tempo of an organisation and keep it pointing in the right direction and agile enough to be mm. able to to, to shift? to shift direction. And you've mentioned a couple of things like multidisciplinary teams and um, and using Slack as a communication tool and those various different mm. things. But do you have any thoughts on how as if, if you were an existing business, what would be the first things that you would that you would be stripping out or, or bringing in to increase oh, this
1: sp- Yes, I, I sometimes fantasise <laughs> I don't want to do this by the way, but I sometimes fantasise what it'd be like to go into a very established business yeah. that's maybe a bit stagnant and yeah. stuck. And unstick them. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I've never done that, and I don't know how to do that. But I um, I think the way we do it here is communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also we have had to we are learning how to behave like a global brand team now. Whereas before you had the mothership here mm-hmm. and then these sort of outposts, mm-hmm. we're now truly a global team, and the success of that global team is communication. So we brought them we had our first global team meeting in Cilip's history last um, November, September, um, where we brought people from the US and people from APAC for a week so that they could really get so everyone could get to know each other. In that week, we also had workshops. So the marketing teams had a breakout session mm-hmm. sales, the ambassadors, and then we went away for two days as a team to do some activities. Um, and what's great, the sort of outcome of that is it means that people really are um thinking and talking globally so if our digital team in the US are doing an activation our um, the person that leads our digital team over there will now has sort of pulled together a global digital workforce so that we are thinking globally but acting locally mm-hmm. so that we can take all the learnings um, understand you know if if for example if you look at the UK we're the most established market we've got loads of learnings so when the US that's sort of two years into their journey wants to, look back we can say well we tried all these things and this worked and this didn't doesn't mean that in their markets they have to do the same but it's just they've got this sort of bank of insight yeah Um, and I think making sure as well that we communicate back internally to the business the most relevant and useful bits of information Mm -hmm. we have so much information now with 81 people doing lots of work and then all our customers and all the activations and all the press and then so, taking those moments of pause to actually reflect back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we also encourage all of our global teams to stop as a team and go and do something in nature yeah. and then come back to their work. Yeah. Um, and even here now, we do a weekly walk once a week. Um, we've just got ready boot racks because it's a bit muddy and yucky out there, just so that people can stop. Because when you do stop, that's when you get to do your thinking. Yeah. Um, I do most of my thinking very early in the morning, because I get up early and no one else is awake, and that's when I will think. Um, I know that Ben loves to think when he drives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I think as businesses, you can get very obsessed with the doing, and the pace is important to us, and we're so busy all the time, and there's so much doing going on, but we need to create those spaces to allow people to be able to stop. Mm Um, And we also do quite a lot around here. So we close the business between Christmas and New Year, which is, I guess, quite standard nowadays. But we also have Nature Week in August where we shut the global business to encourage people to go out into nature and Mm -hmm. spend time with families and loved ones. We also encourage people to take regular holidays. No one gets any awards here for working 14-hour days and never taking their holiday Mm -hmm. because that's not going to keep them interested. Um, It's not going to keep them well on a human level. Mm Um, and you know in this day and age with everything we have at our fingertips through technology you have to switch off of
0: course so uh, you've talked um about the the, the flow of information uh, globally um across Seedlip. you've talked a couple of times about being close to the customer and, and, and customer insight so i'd like to know just a little bit more about the mechanics of how that of how that actually happens how do you 'Cause going right back to the start in the founding of Seedlip, it's not it's not like there was a there was a there was fantastic market foresight to know that the no and yeah. low category was coming. But but you're in it now and that's yeah. a rapidly changing segment. So how do you keep abreast of those changes? How do you make sure that you're able to quickly respond to those changes?
1: I think because we were the pioneer brand with the category, we have a lot of, of our of our own data. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm, what I'm saying for teams now, because we have so much data now, is don't ever make a decision purely on data because we didn't have that luxury in the early days.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, it's, and the great thing with data is, A, you can use data to paint whatever picture you want. And data is a great tool to talk you out of doing things <laughs> as well as talking you into doing things. And so we still need to have, you know, trust your gut and try some things that might work, might not work, because it's only when, things don't work, that you really learn. Yeah. Um, and so we, we have a lot of data, of our own data. We, um, we stay very close to our customers in terms of feedback. So um, we are still, we're, we're very fortunate that people get uh, very emotionally attached to seed and are quite fanatical about it, which is fantastic. So they write to us and they tell us. Um, and most of the time that's very positive some of it's not but that's still very useful as well so we get a lot of um, feedback through our own digital channels and also we sell direct through our own website which also gives us um, useful information some of it's anecdotal Um, some of it I mean it's interesting when you look at numbers they obviously tell a story of success but what is it that makes a brand successful and what makes a brand achieve longevity, because that's what we want
2: mm-hmm. for
1: our brands. Um, and that's the human element of really understanding what human beings out there sort of want or mm-hmm. need. Um, but I would say that said, it's only four years into a new category. It's like sort of called past midnight <laughs> on the first day of the not out category. <laughs> um, and so we're still learning. But I think the best way for us to stay on top of what's going on in consumer world is, is test and learn.
0: So, uh, obviously, we've talked um, a bit about the uh, about the uh, the Diageo uh, deal, and, yeah. and clearly, Seedlit is a is a successful business in a fast growing, you know, brand leader in a fast growing segment. Hmm. But do you think there was anything else that attracted Diageo? Do you think some of the cultural aspects and the speed at which you operate, and and without wanting to to, to to make any presumptions but do you think there was uh, elements that Diageo were looking to learn from Seedlip as opposed uh, uh, as well as teach Seedlip or help Seedlip with?
1: Yeah I would like to think so and I sort of six months into working with them much um, more closely I think that's definitely the case. Um, I think there's some intrigue and interest around our culture because I think they really understand that the culture is part of the secret of our success and mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's sort of quite interesting. There's lots of intangibles in culture. So when you sort of put it under a microscope of, oh, how do, you know, how do you make this work? Um, and so distilling that down into something that is maybe transferable. Um, but I think there's an awful lot of synergy and alignment between the two cultures, actually, which is surprising when you think we're mm-hmm. a tiny four-year-old business and they're a, a huge business, I think, with 30,000 people. But I think the mindset mm-hmm. is very similar. Um, which is why it works. But I, I think there was definitely, I think, you know, they, um, there's lots of very intelligent, clever people that work within Diageo. And so they know that um, culture is an important part because they do a lot of work on their own culture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's also a constantly evolving part of your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and our culture at SeedLip should continue to evolve and change. It should never. As I said, it should never be, well, we've always done it that way because that's not very relevant and Mm -hmm. our teams will change. Um, So, yeah, so I think um, I would like to think we will teach them some things about our culture. Um, You know, I see it as a great opportunity for both parties to learn a lot. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's a bit like the idea that the coming together of two things changes both of those things.
0: So I just want to say thank you again to Emma for sharing her insights and expertise and for giving us her time. As we were wrapping up that conversation, I asked Emma for her uh, tips and advice that she'd like to share with uh, with all of you. Um, and she said that uh, we should all be brave, be curious and be optimistic. And she also said that if you are Um, a startup who is growing uh, really quickly that you should hire finance and operations people just as quickly as you're hiring sales and marketing people, which I thought was fantastic advice. Um, So yeah, remember that Leaders Digest is brought to you by Time and Space. We're a strategic design studio in the UK. You can find us on timeandspacestudio.co. We'd love to hear from you and we hope you tune in next time.
2: Cheers.